Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Flyers podcast for Friday, February 11th, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content that is ready to get existential about this team. It'll be different. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Flyers to keep up to date on all the Flyers news and our episodes. You can also email the show at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here as always with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. On today's show, we are having a very special episode. We are going to talk Flyers philosophy and roster construction with special guest Shane Malloy. Locked on Flyers is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you are listening. So subscribe and you'll get all of our episodes here on the Locked on Sports Network. All right, Russ. So this episode is so good, if I say so myself. (laughs) It's, It's a really interesting conversation with Shane Malloy, who is the host of Hockey Prospect Radio. He is a scouting expert. Uh, Some people know him as the EA Sports player ratings guru. And we had a really philosophical discussion with him about what is the Flyers identity? What should the Flyers identity be? How do you put together a successful front office? And then how do you approach roster construction given all that? And we're at a crossroads right now with this team. And so it's an important conversation to have. Yeah, it's like a two or three beer conversation, not one that you could do in like 10 minutes. Exactly. And I will say, I don't agree with everything he had to say. It's definitely an interesting perspective. I want to sit on it a little while and figure out, you know, where I think we can pull from what he said that I think is worth moving forward with and what I might tweak. But again, this is a very fascinating conversation. It is very relevant to where the Flyers are right now. And I think you're going to like it. I think this is going to be like, is the dress blue or is the dress gold? I think it's going to be like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly on point. All right. Well, without further ado, here is our conversation with Shane Malloy. All right. So the Flyers are in a bit of a weird situation right now. And we decided we thought it would be good to take a step back a little bit and just look at the team. What is its organizational identity? And then how do you put together a roster for this team? And we thought one of the best people to help us figure that out would be Shane Malloy, host of Hockey Prospect Radio. And we are so thrilled to have him on the show. Welcome, Shane. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Russ. I appreciate it. So just from the beginning of all this, do you think that Chuck Fletcher has looked beyond the season ahead as far as roster construction, or is he like a year by year guy and just filling holes? No, I think every general manager, regardless of what their skill sets are, have to adopt a micro and macro view. So, you know, the micro is the immediate year. And then the macro is, you know, one to two, maybe three years down the road. It really depends on what his business strategy is. I don't 
uh, it's not my uh, choice or wouldn't be my first choice to do any more strategy than nine months in terms of your initial roster that's on the ice because a lot of the I would say the a lot of the issues that you can have when you're planning too far ahead is you miss opportunities in terms of market inefficiencies and so I think from watching Chuck from afar when he was in Minnesota and now in Philadelphia I think he does his best to try to manage both those micro and macro and that's the job of a CEO because that's essentially what he is I know his title says general manager you're really the CEO of an operations department and that is a challenging situation. And I think in many cases, looking at Chuck's structure in his office, now I know they they signed and they uh, brought in Daniel Breer today, but I thought his staff was a little bit light. I think it's, it's in today's world, I think it's impossible for to have a really small staff like they had in Philadelphia. I think you need to have three assistant general managers. I think you need to have a robust R&D department. I think you need to have a robust uh, player development staff that be, has be able to be able to take all those areas uh, and then be able to obviously synthesize that and as well as put that into a situation where that you can actually have a structure and a strategy that you can pivot from. So it's really taking best business practices and industry practices and integrate them into your operations department. And I think that's beginning to happen with some NHL teams, but for the most part, there's a, I see from my perspective and doing work in the academic field in business, doing research in business at a graduate level, and then having, you know, 20 years of entrepreneurial experience, you find general managers, they're so busy managing, they really don't have a lot of time to actually do the work that's necessary to run a Fortune 500 company. And that's what the Philadelphia Flyers are. So I think- right. So why would I, this not happen? I mean, there's no cap on it. Like there's no re cap restriction for front office. That's a really good, that's a great question. I think one of the issues is sometimes you, in the environment you're brought up and how you run business directly impacts the strategy that you have. And the thought that sometimes you, you learn from the past. And what's happened in hockey, hockey has been very insular uh, and Philadelphia is no different. Every other organization has been very insular within our culture, but also our business practices. So it's been handed down from generation to generation. So what you learn from your mentors was learned by their mentors. And yes, there's some obviously strategies that have been integrated and people have brought in, you know, different ideas and done different things. And finally, I think, you know, from a, data perspective, I guess the word analytics, which I think is antiquated. Analytics department was sort of more brought in in you know, 2014. But I just think that outside perspectives, and you need to start hiring people who have business backgrounds, but have practical background as well in hockey. So trying to find the mix between having practical business experience, academic business experience, and then understanding the game of hockey because of the context and actually actively searching for those type of people and then retaining them and spending the money. I think it's one of the interesting conversations I've had with NHL teams. Um, you know, I suspect, you know, Philadelphia uh, is in this mix as well is when they talk about building, I guess, the analytics department, which they really should call the research and development department. They talk about the type of people they want to bring in. And I said, well, if you want the best, if you want people who legitimately understand how to do research and development at an exceptionally high level, you're going to have to get people with a master's degree 
or higher. But talk so about why, real research, like not just it's easy to throw out the term research. Like I'll say, yeah, hey, we're not talking I about going on this. Google and right. like punching in some stuff and then pulling right. it together. I mean, legitimately at a graduate level, whether you're taking your master's more, more importantly, your Ph.D. is understanding how to do that properly, how to un- properly do qualitative research and quantitative research, synthesize that information, follow the proper methods and methodology. I know this sounds a little bit more nerd like. But this is no different than any other major corporation that you would find in downtown Philadelphia. They're all run the same way. So I think a lot of it has to do with your ideology, the ideology that you carry as a company, your identity as a company. And I think the Philadelphia Flyers are in a great position to change their business practices. They don't need to change their identity. I think they have one of the, one of the best identities in not only in hockey, but all of sports. And it starts with Ed Schneider. Mr. Schneider is the identity of the Philadelphia Flyers. And you look mm-hmm. at different organizations. Say you look at Citibank. Well, that's an, they have an organizational identity, but it's completely different than the Philadelphia Flyers. The Philadelphia Flyers have an organizational legacy identity because the fans and the stakeholders have direct impact on that organization. And it's, it's all based on emotion. Like the Philadelphia Flyers are a tribe and they're, they, they identify and that organization and Mr. Schneider with the people that live in Philadelphia and, you know, from an outsider and going to coming to Philadelphia and visiting, but being in that rank and being around the people of Philadelphia, you understand that Mr. Schneider is the identity. He, he reflects the people in Philadelphia. The people in Philadelphia are some of the greatest fans you'll ever meet. They're passionate. And they're like well versed in their sports and they have high expectations. And one of the things I really appreciate about the people in Philadelphia and their fans is they're gritty emotionally, mentally, and they expect you to come to work. Even if you fail, they expect you to show 100% effort. Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. regardless of what kind of job you have, it's a, it's a blue collar town. doesn't matter if you work at the bank doesn't matter if you're picking up garbage. It doesn't matter. That's a blue collar town. And what I like about him is everyone in that town is gritty. The nurses are gritty. Like the accountants are gritty. I mean, look, the grandmother who works in the deli is gritty. And if you're fooling around, she's going to come behind the counter and she's going to straighten you out. Right. And that is something that the Philadelphia Flyers are, regardless of the style of play they have on the ice, their identity is Mr. Schneider. So, you know, for my well, it's it's interesting that you say that, though, because I think a lot of people feel like this team is in a transition right now because Ed Snyder has been gone for a number of years now. And Comcast is the machine that owns this team. And many people feel as though this this Flyers culture that you're talking about is lost or should change one of those two things. And so like, where do you go from here? And then how do you build a team around that? See, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's really interesting is the fact that the identity should never change. The identity of the Philadelphia Flyers is Mr. Schneider, regardless if he's alive or now that he's passed on, it's Mr. Schneider. And they have to, Comcast has to continue to carry that flag like an identity of any organization, you plant that flag and people will are drawn to it. Not because it's something they identify with, but also because it's important to them. 
there's an emotional component to being a fan. Like that's your tribe that like, that's your clan. And that's a really, that's a really important thing to understand for any corporation. And Comcast doesn't need to change the identity. It's already in place. It's Mr. Schneider. If you work for the Philadelphia Flyers or and you're a part of their organization in any capacity, if you have any question about how I should speak to someone, how I should treat someone, what should I do? The first thing you think of is what would Mr. Schneider do? That's the first thing you should think of. How does he treat people? How did he communicate with people? How did he solve problems? How did he carry himself? It's no different than the Illich family in Detroit and their legacy and mm-hmm. how, what their identities. I know what a, I know what a uh, Detroit Red Wing is. I know what a Philadelphia Flyer is. When I think of Philadelphia Flyers, I think of Ed Schneider. So if you're if you're in my, like as my recommendations, if you're in Comcast, is to maintain that identity. And the challenge is because this has been this identity has been in place for decades is if you decide to change that identity, this is the problems you have with your fans because there's one of two things happen if you change your identity or that like you say, this is what you are, but you do different things is one of two things ends up happening. One, people don't think you have a very strong belief system or two, they think you're lying to them and both are equally as bad. Okay. So, that's my that's my perspective in terms of you know and, and maybe that's something that you know people in in Comcast or the Philadelphia Flyers are maybe they realize and they were maybe they're struggling with it and maybe there's a realization that oh like the identity is Mr. Schneider and we just have to carry on that legacy as we move forward we don't have to do anything else and they, our, they and- talk about that but I don't know if they fully have embraced it yet um, since he's been gone. Some years I give up on my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, thanks to Bilt Bar. And have you tried their puffs? If not, you're missing out on the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they are a treat. And they're a fan favorite with some incredible flavors like cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream pie. These are going to be your new favorites for sure. All Bilt Bars, including Puffs, are covered in 100% real chocolate. And if you go to Bilt.com and scroll down to the macros chart, you're going to be blown away. Bilt Bars are high protein, but low calorie, high fiber, but low carb. And most Bilt Bars contain about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. If you compare that to a candy bar, usually has 240 calories and so much sugar and carbs. They have so many delicious flavors like mint brownie and coconut almond. New for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They have new flavors coming out all the time. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out to make it healthy. So go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Thanks again for making Locked On Flyers your first listen every day. And make sure to check out Olympic Hockey Daily presented by Locked On NHL. It's a bonus podcast covering all the action in Beijing. You can find it on the Locked On NHL podcast feed. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. All right. So when you mention these things, so identifying a Philadelphia Flyer, so whether it's via trade, whether it's via free agency or the draft, do you... When you look at the players they have 
the players they may be looking at and the players maybe you think they're interested in the draft, do you think they have a clear cut way of doing it and they're looking for certain characteristics or do you feel like this current group and a lot of the guys in the system are a bit of a mishmash and a piecemeal? Well, I think you have to have some, you have to have a variety of skill set within your roster mm-hmm. construction as well as obviously in your, in your system in terms of your prospects and the player you're identifying. Your pl- your players you're identifying. Now there are certain attributes that you are going to value more than others. It could be skating ability, competitiveness, um, the ability to have poise under duress, competitiveness. Like if you're going to play for the Philadelphia Flyers, you got to compete. You don't have to be big, but you have to compete. uh, Look, Daniel Breer was not big, but that guy competed hard and the fans loved him for it. So it's not necessarily about brawn and the broad street bullies and fighting has nothing to do with that. Like look at all the player, all the players that the fans gravitate towards, even when they're not doing well, like they are right now. It's some of like the, you know, gritty fourth liners, because what do those Jerry Mayhew, Jerry Mayhew is one of them. At least they do is they compete. They're not going to be necessarily successful at NHL level, but at least they compete. And that's identifiable by the fans. You got to compete. So that's part of it as well. I think there's anytime you change coaches, anytime you you change some systems, um, that's part of it as well. But the identity of the roster and the players comes from the top. And that filters through to the management all the way through to the players, to the fans, it's all you have to all basically look to the same flag of identification. So if you're looking at it from a roster construction standpoint, I think the Philadelphia Flyers are actually in a really interesting point in their ev- potential evolution. So if you look at the, the traditional model of one through four lines and one through six defensemen in a salary cap era, I think there's some serious limitations. And the problem is, is the scarcity of number one and number two defensemen in the league, the scarcity of number of F1 and F2s, even F3s in the league. How many actually are there? How do you obtain them with free agency or trades? How do you obtain them in the draft? Like it's scarce. It's hard. It's exceptionally difficult to do unless you're lucky and win the draft. And that's unlikely for the Philadelphia Flyers to do probably in the net, unless they completely utterly tank in the next five years, it's unlikely you're going to get those players. It's not going to happen. So, and then if you want to get those players in a trade, what's the asset cost? Way more than you are willing, want to willing to pay. Look what Chicago had to pay for Seth Jones. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was I mean, a ransom. Look what and the then, Flyers paid for Ristolainen. That's another good point. Yeah. To think about it is perhaps take a different strategy to roster construction. So instead of doing the traditional model of one through 12 forwards and the like number one D to number six, Look at it from a perspective of like a behavioral economic standpoint is instead of having a number one line and trying to hunt for guys who can play in a number one line, build two number two lines. And instead of having a number four, have two number three lines. And what that could do for you up front is that it allows it easier to manage. So it's it, whether you're acquiring a player by a trade or you're acquiring a player through the draft and you're developing them or that you're looking for someone in free agency you have a greater pool to identify the players that you want that can play on a second line in the NHL and a third line. And you're slotting and, different salaries that way instead of the highest. And it's easier to slot salaries. Exactly. Russ yeah. in terms of, okay, this is what, so we could have two number two lines that potentially pay somewhere between, 
you know, six and a half to five million dollars in that range. And then your third line could be six guys who all make around three million dollars. So and what the advantage of that is, it's easier to acquire acquire those players. It's easier to draft those players. It's easier to develop those players, whether it's in free agency and trades in terms of of acquiring them. It's easier in terms of versatility to move them around a lineup if there's injuries. And on defense, instead of looking for that number one, number two stud defenseman, you could have four number three and two number fours. It's easier to acquire number threes. They're easier to find in the draft. They're easier to develop. They're e- it's easier to find them in free agency and trades. They don't acquire as much. They also don't cost as much. So those number three defensemen could end up costing you $5 million in that range, five and a half. Those number fours will be around three, three and a half. Now you're going to have to find a goaltender. You're going to have to find probably an elite goaltender to win with that reduction in scoring ability. But what it does in terms of matchup, you don't have usage issues. You don't have deployment issues. So regardless if you're at home on the road, you can roll out the same four lines because they can match up against almost anybody. So your number two, number two lines can match up against their number one and number two lines. Your two number threes are going to be better than their number threes and number fours. So and you're also suggest you're not suggesting they all are long term deals either. A lot of these guys can be on short term deals. You can have them like that, you know, anywhere from between two to five year deals. So you have some roster right. flexibility in terms of that of moving guys over, and that's the advantage in terms of. When you're on the road, you never have to worry about matchups, particularly defensively. You can throw any defensive pair. So whatever defensemen are better on the power play, they pay, play on the power play. Whatever the defensemen are better at penalty kill, they do the penalty killing. But you never have to worry about, oh, my God, I have my third pair out against their number one line. We're going to get destroyed. You don't have right. that issue anymore. You don't have it anymore. I mean, if you, even if you look at the current defensemen in Philadelphia, what I consider Ryan Ellis a number – two defensemen on a Stanley cup contending team, like a top five and top five team in the league. Maybe not right. at this stage in his career, but he's a great number three. And that's the same like Provorov. Is he number two? Probably on a yeah. Stanley cup team. Right. Probably he's a number two, but yeah. you know, as he progresses, will he be, could he be slotted in as a, one of those other number threes? And that's where you can throw Sanheim into that mix. And you know what I mean? So all of a sudden your top four is actually a bunch of all number threes. And they can all play in, in play in any situation. And then you can find a couple really good number fours so that you know, you don't have the fives and six and sevens playing anymore on your roster. They don't well, you exist. Have, so you don't, you don't have those you, issues. You could have a five. If you want a strict power play guy where right now that's something you don't that, even need to, you won't even need to have that. Cause one of your four, your probably two or three, be able to do your it. threes yeah. and yeah. your four are going to be able to do that. So you don't have to have the specialized player yeah, who true. is, has a liability. You don't need to do that. And the grit, you know, the advantage for Philadelphia in terms of its development is that one, you need, they need to increase their player development department. I would have two player development people in Philadelphia, two in Lehigh and two that travel with the, to go and help their prospects. You need to have six. Yeah. That is include yeah, they the don't, goaltending. They don't have that currently. They don't. That doesn't include the goaltending. The goaltending is an entire department that you have to build on your own in terms of evaluators and development. That's another group that you're going to have to add to. Because I think Philadelphia's some of their issues is that they're understaffed. Like, you know, Chuck's a, a smart enough guy, but he can't be the GM of Philadelphia and Lehigh at the same time. There's not enough no. hours in the day to manage that. 
effectively. Well, and hopefully Danny Breer helps with that a little bit. Right. But I want to talk a little bit more about this role thing versus like the flat team structure that you're right. suggesting here. One of the things that I think people have been clamoring for on the Flyers for a while now is an elite goal scorer. And we just haven't had that in a long time. And if it is something that people think you need in order to win a cup, what do you think about that? No, I don't think it's necessary. If you have like the roster construction that I'm discussing, I don't think you need to have that. Does it, you can have good goal scorers, but you don't have to have elite. The advantage is, is that you're never going to be at a disadvantage on the ice. So you don't need to have a 50 goal score. You can have three or four 30 goal scores. Right. Instead, like mm-hmm. you don't need to have the, you know, the Ovechkins of the world. It's not necessary to have that. Yeah, like you back in have... the day, there was a Flyers team that had like five 20 goal scorers and was pretty successful. Remember the Boston Bruins when they end up, I think they had 11 or 10 or 11 20 goal scorers on their roster at one point. I mean, of course, they had players that were excellent and, you know, we can we can we can point to that. But what I'm looking at in a salary cap era, when you are in an economic constraint, you have to be able to, you're going to have to trade off certain things. Right. And to me, it's about, I think the fourth lines and your third pair, and sometimes even your third line is so far pushed away in terms of its offensive capability that it becomes a bit of a detriment, especially in your third pairing. So that your, your coaching staff is constantly trying to match and then you get right. forced into situations where your top pairing ends up paying 28 minutes a game. Think about having a defense core where every defenseman plays 20 minutes a game. Okay. So Ivan Provorov a... might not like that, but. <laughs> well, no, but, but it actually makes them more efficient. It, it, it is better for the course less... of a season. Right. Yes. The... yes. But if you look on the average over the entire average of a, of a year, all four of those, all six of those defensemen can play 20 minutes. Right. So that it's not about the number of minutes you play. It's the efficiency of when you play. So he's mm-hmm. actually going to be a better player and produce more points and be more effective with less minutes at 20 minutes, because he's going to be mentally, emotionally, physically fresh every game. And because so everybody's the pulling defense. their weight, which currently that doesn't happen. Right. And that doesn't happen when your your third pairing is playing 12 minutes a game. And they can only play against the third and fourth, like the fourth lines and sometimes occasionally the third. So right. it, there's no, the use and deployment is skewed. So you're, you're pushing all these top end players to their maximum limit every game. So by the time you get, if there's injuries, heaven forbid, or if you get into the playoffs, you're running out of gas. It's about really selectively matching up usage and deployment. And that's where I think that, you know, if you change your strategy and your roster construction, I think it gives you a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Bet online has you covered this season with more props, odds and lines than ever before. As football continues, it's March through the playoffs right to the big game this weekend. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up to the minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. Because think about if you're going after free agents or in trades. Are you going to be going after the what you call the big whales? No, because you don't have to. 
You don't have to. So you're not having to ever swim in that pool. You're not going to bother. You're going to go specifically target certain types of players to fit. So you're almost like without the high-end skill of similar to the Russian teams in the 80s that can just roll line after line after line after line. And you're going to drive the competition bananas because the difficulty, the challenge with playing against a team like that is there's almost no holes. Are you going right. to, there's almost no holes in terms of defensively and you can always match up because the they difference between that you. first line and that second line is not that big. And mm-hmm. the advantage also is say there there's 32 number two lines in the league and you want two of them. So your goal should be is to have two number two lines, but have both of those in the top 10 of the league and do the same for your number three lines. So your number three lines are, both your number threes are in the top 10 of the league. So what that does is it, it, it helps you match up against any team you're playing against. The caveat is you're going to have to have a top 15 goalie. So how do you do that? You're going to have well, to they may have, they may have that already. They might they have, have that. No, and I think they do with Carter Hart, mm-hmm. but in the future, you're talking about future roster construction yes. is that you have to draft a goalie every year, one goalie, right. Right. and then have a team set up specifically in your operations department for drafting, evaluation, drafting of goaltenders and development, because there's more than enough places to have them. You can have a couple in Europe. You can have a couple in the CHL. You have a couple in college. You got a couple in the East coast league. You got a couple in the American league and you got two in the NHL. And, and if someone says, well, what happens when say five of them can play in the NHL? Great. That's a bonus. You trade, trade them. some. Yeah. You, trade them. you do what you do, what the Washington capitals did. I think it was two years ago. It might've been three, but, I'd have to go back and check that I think it was two or three years ago, they had six goaltenders mm-hmm. that were Washington Capitals that were either a starter and a backup in the league when they had 30 teams. Think about that. Six yeah. came from one franchise. It's a massive competitive advantage because everyone needs a goalie. And if you have extras, it's not a detriment. It's a bonus. So that just adds to your asset collection from that standpoint. So it just, I think the Philadelphia Flyers, as I look through, you know, I'm looking at cap friendly and going through their list. Yes. Obviously Couturier has, you know, a seven plus million dollar contract and so does Mm -hmm. Hayes. Um, So that will probably push, you know, if you use my roster construction, it'll probably push it a little, but also there's an advantage of when we're talking about that is how do you fit all that in? Like you might be, you know, five to $7 million short. The advantage is when you're building it out is you have to accept the fact you're probably going to have to have two entry-level contracts, maybe three mm-hmm. out of those out of those 18 players. Not that's good them. because you're that's developing five. those players. Right. So as you're developing, the goal would be to have, we're going to have three, entry, our goal should be strategy, three entry-level players. And that allows us to build out this, this roster construction this way. And as they graduate, Someone else comes off the roster, and then some other young kid comes in behind. Okay, so my last thing for you is they were trying to do this. Chuck was trying to do this a couple of years ago, and when they couldn't rely on the kids, they went all strict veterans and decided, all right, now we're just going to go all veterans, and we'll just over-marinate the kids, or the kids will develop in the minors, and they haven't even been able to stick to that. So they haven't even stuck to one of these yet. Well, is this the off season they do it? Maybe. Now, I think one of the things that sometimes owners and managers may not realize is what their most valuable asset is. 
and it's time. It's not cap space. It's not draft picks. It's time because time allows you to make decisions slower, allows you to develop your players more effectively and allows you to scour the marketplace for inefficiencies. So if you're working for Chuck, your number one thing you need to do is be able to supply him with time. That's what he needs is time. And the best way to do that is to draft and develop your players well, because that allow, that's the number one thing. It's the best asset in roster construction is drafting, developing. It's not free agency. It's not trading. It's not European free agency, drafting, developing. So I would pour resources into drafting, developing, especially on the development side. So, and I would, I would spend the money for a, to build a proper R and D department. If you're going to, if you're going to do it right, go and find four or five people that are PhDs in a variety of different skill sets and disciplines. Don't just hire a bunch of people who do analytics. Analytics right. is a singular discipline. That's myopic. And don't get me wrong because it's valuable, but it's one discipline. You're going to need to have someone else who understands statistics. Somebody else who understands probability. Someone else who has a background in business in terms of entrepreneurial understanding and interdisciplinary studies so that you can integrate all these disciplines into one so that you can actually build strategy and provide data to the general manager and the managers and the directors of the departments. And it's not just numbers. Data are not just numbers. It's quantitative and qualitative married together. And basically I would like, my suggestion would be is to look what the best fortune 500 companies are doing and mimic a lot of what they do. And your R and D department has to be with people who actually work in hockey. It can't be just somebody that you pull some undergrad student out of Wharton. Like it doesn't work that way. They don't, they don't understand the context. They don't have the research skills. They may not have the life experience. So you're going to have to pay for it. And the cost of that could run you a million dollars, which may sound like a lot, but, and I've had assistant GM scoff at me when I, when I've suggested it, but think about this, how much money do you spend uh, with the players that you scratch every night? On average, there's three players that you scratch every night. So they provide you zero utility economically because they can't go on play, even if there's an injury. So throughout the year, you're probably spending somewhere between 2.4, 2.5 million dollars, and it's a sunk cost. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to tell me that it's you're willing to do that, but you're not willing to spend a million dollars of an for an RD R and D department that could provide you anywhere from three like return on investment, three times, five times, 10 times a return on investment. If an R&D department helps you not make one critical error, it could save you two to $3 million in one transaction. So it's just about taking strategies from other industries and implementing them into a hockey operations department to allow them to be more efficient and look at it in a non-traditional way. Don't get trapped by dogma. Just because that's what you did before or what other teams did before doesn't mean that you're forced to do that. You can do whatever you want. Um, and that's that's some of the issues and questions I think owners and general managers have to ask themselves. Value shifts, being trapped by dogma, um, you know, and, and owners and management sometimes having difficulty suspending judgment and time to make proper decisions and make proper hires. Well, I think right now, whether or not Chuck Fletcher is saying it publicly, because I don't think he feels like he can, I think the fan base gets the impression that things are going to hurt for a little bit. 
And so it may make sense to do some of this transformative stuff because there is an expectation that it's going to take a little while. And uh, I don't think it, I don't think it has to. I mean, honestly, I think the Chris prior regime left them with a lot of good prospects. So, so when Chuck came in and that was December 4th of 2018. So you look at what was the age of the players that were drafted. Like you look at the 2016 draft, that was the Rubstoff, LaBerge, Hart, Allison draft. Well, those players were just 20. They were just beginning their pro career, just starting. So the Patrick Frost, Radcliffe draft, they were 19. Mm-hmm. Faraby, O'Brien, Jenning, you know, the first and second round picks, they were 18 when Chuck took over. So those were kids. There was an opportunity to develop those kids. You know, and you look at, and, you know, a lot of them didn't develop. You know, thankfully, you know, the 2015 draft, we had Provorov and Konechny. Um, 2022, you had Sanheim, Limbaum. Um, Cabell, unfortunately, didn't develop for them, but looks like he's, you know, he's still an he's NHL player. He's developing, though. Oh, right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, at the age of 26, he's getting some games in. But I look at that three-year run of 16, 17, 18. That's where you had to make hay. You know, Rubstoff, LaBerge, Hart, Allison, Patrick, Frost, Radcliffe, Farabee, O'Brien, Jenning. They have to, they have all of them. You have to get the majority of those guys to play. So if you actually look at those 14 players that I've even discussed in those five drafts, I think six of them are players, six out of 14. You, you, you have to have a higher percentage of that. And I think that really comes, what that does to me, and that suggests because it's a lagging measurement, um, and not a leading measurement. I don't know how they got to where they are today from three years ago. You'd have to do a forensic audit of what they were doing and what the processes were in player development and management right. to figure out, okay, what happened? So you don't replicate and make those mistakes again because they were left with a really good pool of prospects and they were in a really good position to take this team to another level and for whatever reason, and I can't, I, unfortunately, I can't answer it, whether it's a process issue, whether it's a development issue, whether it's a coaching issue at the American League, though not not enough of those players developed. And he, we're talking about first and second round picks. Mm-hmm. Like, though, you have to hit on those. You have to. Yeah. you got to get two players a draft to play more than 200 games in the NHL, or you have zero chance of being a contender in the NHL. It's really a draft and development league now because the economic reality of getting those players on entry-level contracts is critical. And it's about asset management as well. So it's really taking it from a perspective of behavioral economics, integrating that with like performance management and operations management and along with strategic leadership and trying to build an operations strategy that helps you be a consistent contender. I mean, you, got, you want to be in the playoffs every year and you would like to be in the top four of your conference to have a legitimate chance to go on a run. And at this stage, looking at the Philadelphia Flyers, they're not there yet, but there's enough pieces on this roster that that could happen. Like Claude Giroux probably is going to be traded. I suspect Um, you're going to have to find a way to move James Van Riemsdyk's contract. But other than that, there's some really good pieces here that gives you some like cap flexibility. So, and hopefully, you know, Kevin Hayes comes back and he's healthy because that's obviously problematic. But I think there, like, if you look at it, I don't think it, I don't see it as a doom and gloom. I see there's a really good opportunity. If you start spending 
more assets and more time and bring in really excellent personnel for your player development department and your R&D department to help supplement those decisions. And honestly, I'm not sure, like I know Daniel Breyer has a different title, but when I had talked to Russ previously, I thought, wow, Danny Breyer, that would be a really good hire to be your American League general mm-hmm. manager, your assistant mm-hmm. GM to run Lehigh. Um, so I don't know if that's going to eventually happen down the road, but he would have been one of my first choices to do that. So it's a step in the right direction. And Chuck right. had talked about adding people to player development and thinking about expanding what they call the analytics department, although I wish they would really change it to research and development. Makes more sense. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I think there's a great opportunity. So if I'm a fan of Philadelphia Flyers, I wouldn't be so panicked about the doom and gloom. I think there's still an opportunity to right this ship and really push it into a direction where they could be formidable because there's still some really good young players on this roster. Well, I think that is a really good note to end this on with some positivity looking forward. Shane, this has been really fascinating. I have to think about what you said for a little while. I'm not sure I'm 100% on board, but you've given me a lot to think about. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, a lot of this, the, the concepts and models that I've been discussing, I ended up developing through my uh, going through graduate school uh, for my master's and now I'm in my PhD. So a lot of that is built on theories and concepts and a lot of it's been done in a practical and pragmatic set, um, you know, setting in the real world. So I try to take all this information and then apply it to hockey and see how it would work in a practical setting. So it's always interesting to have the conversation. Yep. Stay in school, kids. That's that's what, what I'm saying. Yes. Try to get good <laughs> grades in high school. Don't do what I did and have to go back and work really hard on when you're an adult. All right. Thanks, Shane. Take care. All right. Once again, thanks to Shane Molloy for joining us again. Really fascinating conversation. And I'm excited to hear what you out there think about what he said and what the Flyers future is going to look like. You can let us know what you think via Twitter at LockedOnFlyers, or you can email us at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. We're going to be back again Monday, of course. We're going to discuss the Flyers versus Red Wings round two. We're going to talk about some of the new hires related to this conversation we just had today, and we'll have our nemesis of the week. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russ, and I'm on Twitter at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. You made us your first listen today. Now make your next listen Locked on Bets. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling.